James Harden, the drama continues. Day 7,000 of this nonsense. We'll talk about that. Plus, is Steph Curry the greatest point guard of all time? And do Lou Williams will or Jamal Crawford or both belong in the Hall of Fame? All that and more on Locked on NBA. You are Locked on NBA, your daily NBA podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On NBA, your source for all things NBA from the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Thanks for making us your first listen, being an everyday or checking in with us all throughout the week. We've got so many different shows and voices covering all things NBA, even through the offseason. We appreciate you guys making us part of your day, your week, your life. I want to let you know that today's show is brought to you by Bird Dogs. Go to birddogs.com slash locked on NBA or enter promo code locked on NBA for a free white tech hat with any purchase. You won't want to take your bird dogs off. We promise. My name is Matt Moore. I'm the senior NBA writer for the Action Network, co-host of Locked On Nuggets, joined by David Ramil. He's co-host of Locked On Heat. Be with you all throughout the offseason on today's show. We're going to talk about James Harden and the ongoing drama there. We'll talk about the conversation of whether or not Steph Curry is the greatest point guard of all time or where exactly he ranks in that conversation. And we're going to talk a little bit about Lou Will, Jamal Crawford in the Hall of Fame, all that and more on today's show. We start with more James Harden drama. I'm so tired of this nonsense. Get oh. these guys traded. Get the two of them to their new locations. I'm so tired of hearing about it. Um, the latest is that Adrian Wojnarowski reported on Sunday, I believe, that James Harden has clarified in the NBA investigation into mm. the matter of whether of exactly how he, quote, unquote, lied, uh, that he was not referring to the reported rumored handshake deal that Harden and Moore agreed to last summer that would have seen uh, Harden play last season and then uh, have a new contract waiting for him on the max side this year. He was not referring to that because of course there quote unquote unquote, there was no such arrangement because then there would be a lot more trouble there. Uh, And then Uh he was referring to the fact that when Harden opted in that Maury made it clear that he was going to trade him and would trade him immediately. And instead, with the uh, Sixers having indicated they are not going to trade Harden, that is why Harden called him a liar. Uh, my two takes on this are one, Harden doesn't stand to necessarily be damaged by a tampering investigation. He won't get right. fined for that. Like the team would get fined for that. And that's the only real repercussion. So, I think he's being genuine in what he was mad about. I don't think necessarily that like everyone really glommed on to like more. He said he would pay him and he didn't. What a liar. I don't think that that was the, the case of how this all wound up working out. And then two, uh, I would just say that um, I think Maury was like, yeah, sure. Opt in and we'll trade you if there's a market and there, and, and there wasn't a market and you, you can't trade someone if there's no market for the player. Yeah, you basically said this last week that, that I think that was the the onus of the the liar in question. The comments from James Harden were you know, he, the expectation that he'd be traded by Darren Moore, and Darren Moore saying, "Yeah, that's so fast, and we can't really pull anything off. We're not going to do anything that we have to, that we can't do. That's uh, even significantly worse than whatever offers there might may or may not be for Damian Lillard." So, uh, yeah, it, it's just. I mean, the the investigation is so bizarre, right? Like, I, I, you know, it's just played out so publicly again. The league trying to cover themselves up and make sure that everything's on the up and up when clearly that's not the case. 
Uh, it just seems a little futile, right? They're not going to really dig anything of interest. I, I mean, like you said, the player's not going to get punished. I mean, he might request another trade next season or the year after that. Who knows? However long he may be in the NBA, he might request trades as much as he wants because, well, they've been successful every time he does it. So I, I don't see James Harden changing his behavior. Any, and so as far as the 76ers are concerned, like, I mean, what's what? what is more going to say in this investigation? I don't know why he's calling me a liar. That's up to him. So it just feels kind of moot, right? Like, I mean, Maury can continue to tell the NBA, no, I, I didn't do anything. I just signed him to a deal. We said we'd talk in the offseason, and here we are. And next thing I know, he's calling me a liar in China. Meanwhile, James Harden is saying, no, no, no. He was gonna, He told me he was going to trade me. And that's why I'm a little upset, and that's why I called him a liar. So it just seems kind of ridiculous. Uh, as to your overall point, though, yes, please. Let's just get this done. Like, I, I mean, digging in so deep here, trying to find – new angles to this weird saga and everything else like Harden wants that Philadelphia can't get anything for him I don't know what to do next like I, I, that's the whole problem right like Philadelphia is not going to be able to find anything of of commensurate value if they trade James Harden but James doesn't want to be there he wants out so it's a sticky situation the name of my next album is going to be calling me a liar in China that's gonna be the name of my next album um right. I have a little rant to go on. Um, Let's do it. Can we stop with the investigations? Can we stop? <laughs> and the, the biggest thing here is, I'm not going to name names, but all of the Eastern Conference contenders have lobbed, all of them, have lobbed accusations at other teams over the last four years about tampering. And it's, it's just, it's dumb. It's stupid. Like, mind your business just i look don't get me wrong if you're genuinely interested in like a fair and evil and even playing ground sure fine but you're not because all of the teams that have that i believe have lobbed these accusations and told the league you should investigate this have also done the same thing and i'm just i'm so over the idea of i get the competitive nature of the league and how you want to try and gain an edge, whatever, keeping a second round pick from a rival. It's just, this stuff is petty and it's stupid and it makes these things, it's an insult to everyone's intelligence in terms of how these things are going on the first 30 seconds of free agency. All the deals are signed now. Like they're all done. We know like it's fine. We figured this out. These reports are, are, it, it was, it's been very surprising to me to see where we went from like a year ago. Not a year ago, like five, five years ago, it was like, okay, you know, there's like, a mo- there's the early free agency period and you'll have a couple of signings. Some right. things will get agreed on, but like most of the stuff comes in a few days. And now mm-hmm. it's like, I was hearing like details on numbers, like a week in advance, just yeah. like late June, like the finals are done. And half of these deals have already been talked about, negotiated and are agreed upon. Um, right. And that's fine. If we, they want to move up the, the timeline on that, I really don't care because honestly, it's probably better for te- teams to know who they've got and who they don't before the draft. But just let's stop with the investigations. Let's stop with like like the pearl clutching here. If you're one of these teams in the Eastern Conference, and I'm just I'm talking to all of them who have all lobbed accusations at each other, and they'll all say, "Well, he they did that for." I don't care. I just wish that we could stop. Like, just do your business in secret and get on with it. I'm tired of of the and that the serious investigations going on into all these situations. It's really ridiculous. Well, that's I mean that's from the league though. Like the, the problem is fans 
pearl clutching, as you said, uh, you know, saying, oh, there's an unfair advantage. They're trying to poach this player away from here. The small market versus large markets. All those conversations are all tied together. The idea that teams don't tamper or don't have open lines of communication is so ridiculous and archaic. The league just has to change those rules. Like, there's no reason for them anymore. We just live in a different era. Maybe, maybe they were in place when, you know, a, a contract offer would be made by telephone and you would be talking to one agent or yeah. even the capacity for a teleconference or anything like that. Yeah. And then if you had those contracts signed, you'd have to, like, ship it. And the earliest you could get it was a week away. That's not the possibility anymore. Now you can just sign online. You don't even have to be there. It's so ridiculous. I just times have changed. The league has to change with it. And the whole summer has been about this lack of, of this illusion of transparency and the dangers yeah. associated with it. So it's just it needs to change. And you know what? Just banish all rules. Anarchy in the league. That's what I think is probably <laughs> no contracts, no rules, just a free for all. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. On the other side, Steph Curry thinks that he belongs up there with Magic Johnson for the best point guard of all time. We'll talk about whether he's right or not. Plus, later on, are Lou Williams and Jamal Crawford worthy Hall of Famers? All that and more on Locked on NBA. Right now, I need to tell you about Bird Dogs. Bird Dogs makes you look good. Their stretch khaki shorts are designed to fit slimmer through the thigh and leg, giving you a truly sculpted look. They fit way better than regular shorts that are made of a stiff, restricting cotton. They fix this issue by inventing cloud knit fabric that looks just like khaki but stretches. So you can get a way slimmer fit without having to sacrifice movement. They use anti-stink sweat wicking fabric that keeps you cool and dry all day long. Go to birddogs.com slash LockedOnNBA or enter promo code LockedOnNBA for a free white tech hat. That hat's awesome. I got it in the mail, and it's really great. I've worn it out. It's a really good-looking hat. That's birddogs.com slash LockedOnNBA or promo code LockedOnNBA for a free white tech hat. You won't want to take your bird dogs off. We promise you. We'll be right back on LockedOnNBA. Back here on Locked On NBA, David Ramil and Matt Moore. Thanks for joining us on a Tuesday. Recording this early on Monday afternoon uh, as we anxiously await for probably the Damian Lillard trade to happen tonight since we're recording this early as I don't feel good. So, you know, just the, the Dame trade probably happens tonight. Um, so, David, let's talk a little bit about Steph Curry. Steph Curry was on Gilbert Arenas' podcast and um, was asked, are you the best point guard ever? And Steph said, quote, yes, it's me and magic. Is that the conversation? He says, obviously I've got to answer that way is the, the short form of what he said there. Um, courtesy of clutch points. So I think it's interesting because it depends on how you define, like, if you care, like you don't have to care about the positions, you don't have to, but if you were to define the positions, it does kind of matter how you define it. I would say the best way I can describe it is Steph's probably, in my opinion, the greatest point guard of all time because he fundamentally changed what point guard is. Like he fundamentally reshaped the definition of what that role is, about the role of that of that position, about what that that player does. Um, I have Steph like I think he is borderline top five all time point blank mm -hmm. like across positions 
I think he's top five. Um, you look at the title success. For me, this is pretty simple, which is um, the point of basketball is, is to, to throw the little round thing into the cylinder with the little net attached. That's the point of the game. And no one has ever been better at it than Steph Curry. He is the best shooter of all time. He is probably the best shooter of all time going forward. Like the future, like forever is a long time, but it's going to, I cannot imagine someone being a better shooter than Steph. I just can't envision it. And to me that that qualifies him as a top five guy all time. If you're the best guy at a fundamental skill, the most fundamental skill, I think you have to be in that conversation. I don't consider him the best point guard. If we define it the way that we used to like the things that made magic Johnson, a point guard, I don't think Steph's great at the stuff that Steph does. He's the greatest of all time at. So that's kind of like how I wind up defining this. I'm fine putting him as the best point guard of all time. If you're just like, he was listed at point guard and he's the best player. That's fine. If you're defining the roles, that's when I start to be like, well, I don't know. He's not necessarily that good at all those things that, traditional point guards did yeah no i i uh i like where you're going with that because you know when we started talking about this as a, a subject on today's show i'm thinking to myself like what, what does that even mean anymore a point guard by today's standards is not the point guard of the 60s or 70s but a lot of that also has to do with the fact that magic johnson changed the way the position is known as being six foot nine and being of his size and being of his skill level redefine the idea of the shortest guy on the team has to be the best playmaker because that's all he can do is make sharp passes because he can't get that shot off over anybody that's much bigger. You know, when you've got a bunch of pituitary case gorillas around him, there's no way for him to get that shot off. He's better be a smart passer. And that's the way they used to think of, you know, small New York bred point guards, you know, in the 60s, etc. But that doesn't exist today. Now you've got Magic Johnson as a six foot nine, you know, he, playmaker but who could run the floor as quickly as anybody else much smaller than him and i, I think i i don't know I, I to my my idea and that's what it is we're talking about basically the idea of the point guard i still think that there has to be the role of being a a, a you know a setter you have to be a table setter you have to be the guy that can ground you can initiate offense can get guys in the right position to score and maximize whatever sets they're running on offense and that being the case I don't think, I don't think that Steph does it better than Magic. I, I I just don't think they have different roles. They're different players, and so it's just it's. We talked about this in a recent show, like when we're talking about the engines of the NBA, and most of those guys that we talked about weren't necessarily like you know smallish players. They were much significantly larger, and and that being Luka Doncic being one of the best at, you know engines in the NBA, right? It, he's more along the lines of a LeBron James or a Magic Johnson. So I, I, I don't know. It all depends on where you define, you know, I, I think the idea of, of limiting Steph or Magic to just being a point guard is silly because neither of them fit into what the traditional definition of that, uh, of that position is. And so I, I, it's, the question is unanswerable because the position and the qualities associated with the position have changed so much over the years, starting with Magic in the late 70s and continuing all the way through to Steph Curry. It's one of the reasons Russell Westbrook's uh, MVP season brought Oscar Robertson back into the frame quite a bit. He was kind of a little bit lost to history. Um, I think there has been like a real reevaluation of what Oscar did, which is good, you know, because honestly, I think think you probably need to have him number three. Um, I'm partial to Jason Kidd and Chris Paul. Those are the next two on on my list. 
Um, but like more of the older definition, right? I mean, as far as what a point card is. Exactly. Like to me, I think Chris Paul is like a really great comparison here where if you say like, who's a better player, Chris Paul or Steph Curry, I'm like, well, (laughs) it's probably Steph Curry, the greatest shooter of all time with four titles. Um, that's just, he's just better. Right. But Chris is a better, was, has been a better defender. He's a better passer. He's a better floor general. Um, he has a better, hmm, this is tough to, to say. He's got a mix of moves. Because one thing that's really interesting about Steph is that um, he got a lot better at finishing. He used to struggle with finishing early in his career, and he got to be like an elite finisher when he started making the shots harder. This is one of the funniest things to me about Steph. He stopped trying to shoot normal layups and just started shooting scoop shots. Like Once he made them into more of a shot where he has to cover distance with them, he got better at it, which is just disgusting that, that he's got that much. Like He's better at that. But also, is like he's not a finisher through contact the way that Chris Paul was. Um, and again, like I can list all these ways that Chris Paul is better than Steph Curry, but it doesn't matter because the things that Steph Curry is better at are fundamentally more important and defined and we're, you know, shaped the offense and we can talk about gravity and all those other, other things that Steph has, um, has impacted and changed the way that we thought of things. Uh, well, I do go ahead. No, I was just gonna say, what was it? Uh, uh, the Celtics GM said a couple of years ago about changing the way positions are considered now. It was just bigs, wings and ball handlers basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Does that change where the ranking would be? I mean, I think that would probably improve, Steph's position on that because he's you know again as a ball handler he's on a par with Magic he's just not the assist numbers aren't there they were so historic when Magic was at you know in his, his peak but as a scorer Steph is clearly better than Magic Johnson yeah. so does does that change then if we look at the positions in that say rather than just thinking of point guards you know a guy who has to set the table he has to get everybody going like would that make Steph top you know top the list of of you know ball handlers rather than point guards. See, personally, I don't think he fits in that definition. Okay. Because I don't think he's, you know. So he's off screens and always. Yeah, so much of his work is off ball. And if you're like, well, he technically, like, he brings the ball up the floor. That's true. And then he hands it to Draymond. And Draymond executes the set. Right. And that's that's what makes him successful. And it's not that Steph wouldn't be successful without Draymond. He would because of his shooting ability. But, he, you know, a lot of it is that he is so good at catch and shoot and that off-ball stuff. And also, like, that's what stretches the defense so much and exhausts the defense and, like, panics them and gets them out of position for all the Warriors' cuts and things. So, like, a lot of Draymond's assists are because of what Steph does. But he's also just not, like, a primary ball handler, which I think is better. Like, one of my big criticisms of Luka Doncic is how ball-dominant he is. So I think having that versatility really matters. Um, so it's interesting because I don't think of him as a wing but I don't necessarily think of him as a ball handler. This is the thing is like, I, I have said this before and I do kind of believe it's true. I don't know if Steph's the best point guard of all time, but he's the best Steph of all time. And there's only been one. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. yeah, there's only been one Steph Curry. There's no, there's never been a player like him and there'll never be another player like him again. So uh, that definition I think is, is, is pretty good. Yeah. I'm curious who you would have number three and four on this list. If we agree that oh. Matt or, or in some order one too. Uh, yeah, I think you'd have to give Chris Paul some consideration. I, I, I don't think of Oscar necessarily that way. I, I, I mean, obviously, I didn't watch, uh, you know, I watched some highlights and things of that sort. And, and he was just so gifted at doing everything when, you know, I get compared to everybody else on the floor that he was just, you know, again, a little bit of everything. He is you know, one of one as well. Um, so I, I guess Oscar's probably fourth to me, Chris Paul is third, Oscar fourth, and then I guess Kid. I guess you can make an argument for Nash as well, as though his peak was smaller than uh, than Kids was. Stockton, I'm sure. I'm, 
Yeah, Stockton. Yeah. I, I mean, look, I, I think the all time. We knock Stockton. We, we knock Stockton yeah. for the off the court stuff, which is fine. And I'm perfectly happy to do that. But yeah. I also think a lot of people think of him as just being very limited, pick and roll you to death, et cetera. But try stopping it. Nobody could for, you know, 10 plus years. So that's why it was so effective. Tough defender, a really elite shooter. So John Stockton was really good. So good point. All right. Uh, on the other side, are Lou Williams and Jamal Crawford Hall of Famers? This is a conversation that's come up online. We'll give our answers to that on the other side here on Locked on NBA. Back here on Locked On NBA. Thanks for joining us. Make it as part of your day. David Rommel alongside Matt Moore. Appreciate you guys being with us. Uh, so there's a conversation that kind of came up online about uh, Lou Williams and Jamal Crawford and whether or not those guys are Hall of Fame worthy players. Obviously, six men of the year. Um, they are extremely well regarded as far as like being loved by players, etc., Lou Williams has said that he and Jamal Crawford should be in the hall of fame. He said that on the podcast, um, two of the best, you know, multiple times, six man of the year winners. I'm curious where you're going to go with this, David, this is your topic and I'm very curious to get your thoughts on it as far, especially given your perspective on the hall of fame. What are your thoughts yeah. on Lou Will and, and Jay Craw in the hall of fame? I don't like it. I, I I'm so, yeah, I'm surprised at myself in saying it. I, I, I don't think either of them was transformative enough to be recognized for their impact. They just kind of took a narrative that was in place with like as far back as Vinnie Johnson that I can recall as the guy who ignites offense, you know, off the bench. And it kind of morphed into this idea of what a six man of the year is. But it's also basically just a recognition that you're not good enough to start. And that's why you're coming off the bench, because there's probably a hole in your game, whether it's defense, as it is for Lou Williams or Jamal Crawford or something else. And it just like kind of leaves them in this role where they can't quite fit in. And so they're not competent enough to be starters. And that's why they're coming off the bench. But they do provide incredible scoring off the bench. And, and so that's where their limited value is. And that being the case, they changed the idea of the position to some degree but not nearly enough to be in my position, Hall of Fame worthy. It seems very much to me like this is partially built off of one Crawford's eligible next year, and then two Manu got in primarily. He played his career as a six man, so it's like, well, if if Manu got in, then the other great six men should get in. Except it's counting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like, counting everything that Ginobili did before that, or outside yeah. of the NBA. So yeah, it's well, yeah. There's that, uh, and then there's also just the fact that for me, it's like, yeah, but Manu did more than one thing as, as six man. Like he That's ran true. the offense and played point and was a defender and like was a three level scorer and was part of the and won championships and was part of one of the most successful three man cores of all time. And loose. Scored a lot in the regular season. I, I love Jamal Crawford. I loved sure. his game. He was yeah. so much fun to watch. And there were a couple of seasons where I genuinely feel he was underrated. He had some seasons in Atlanta where I thought he was a genuinely good NBA player. He gave a higher level of effort on defense than he ever did. And that sounds crazy because everyone's like he was a terrible defender. He was, but there was a couple of seasons in Atlanta where he actually gave 
a really high level of effort and was really good. Um, Lou Williams never did. And Jamal had a couple of seasons where he was like a really good passer and like he had really good feel for the game and you could have him out there and close games with him because of everything that he's got that he had to bring to the table. Again, Lou Williams never, never was that. Um, so like Crawford, I, I kind of get the argument for a little bit more so, but even then I do agree with you that he's limited in the scope. I think part of this too is Crawford's very popular among players. Does that matter? Yeah. Like, does it, I, I, mean, I, I will say, I'll ask you this. Like, I think the players have more of a, a claim to the hall of fame than media should. And so do you feel like the fact that the players love and adore Jamal should factor in here? Would you put it like that? Probably so. Um, but I, I, and also, I, again, I think there's criteria is not the right word because that is so hard to define and it changes so much. But again, there, there has to be some kind of a, a wider ranging impact, uh, either at an international, a collegiate level. Like, I mean, there are high school coaches and collegiate coaches that are enshrined in the Hall of Fame because they change the idea of winning in their respective positions. I, I don't know what it is that Lou Williams and or Jamal Crawford did so well as scorers off the bench that can be considered you know, game changing. They're not Carl Anthony Towns, that's for sure. So, uh, uh, based on their popularity, I, 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 they should have a say in it. The players do. I don't think it should be such a loud commentary on the situation that they should be automatically enshrined just because they're popular. Yeah, Lou is. You know, I'm looking at his, his kind of resume here, and it's you know three three times six man of the year. Yep. Was McDonald's all American, but like didn't win, a, <laughs> didn't didn't win anything there. I, I think it's I think it's tough to make an argument for these type of things. So I kind of agree with you that I don't necessarily feel like it's the way to go. Uh, all right, that's gonna do it for a quick episode of Locked On NBA. Thanks for joining us. Appreciate you guys being with us. Make sure to keep you here all week long. We've got Pat the Designer and Nick Engstat over on Thursday. Uh, tomorrow, Jake Corral, Jake Madison, and John Corrales join you, giving you the, all the latest news and stuff, as well as continuing coverage of Team USA. And make sure to check out Locked On Heat and Locked On Nuggets for more coverage of those teams as well. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll see you guys again next time on Locked On Heat.